to That Tech Pod, where we discuss all things e-discovery, data privacy, cybersecurity, and tech innovations. I'm Gabby Schulte, and I don't know that much about technology, but I am here to learn. And I'm Laura Milstein, and I know a little bit about technology. That's why each week we're going to talk to heavy hitters in the industry to help us break down all these topics. So today, Laura, who are we talking to? Today, we're talking to Brian Isbell. Brian is the Managing Director of the Global E-Discovery and Data Advisory Group at Baker McKenzie. Brian has more than 15 years of experience focusing on information governance, data privacy, full EDRM lifecycle execution and management, and data analytics. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Laura. Gabby, really nice to be here. So, Brent, before we dive into everything, can you tell us a little bit just about yourself and how you got started in the industry? Sure. So, um, thank you for saying 15 years, Laura. I can't believe it's actually been over 20. Um, time flies when you're having fun. Um, but I uh, I think like a lot of people in the industry, I started out, um, well, not a lot of people, but some people, um, I really started out on sort of the legal side. So I started out as a paralegal. Um, I worked for the Alabama Supreme Court. Um, and then I, I thought maybe I wanted to go to law school. I wasn't really quite sure. So I um, got a job for a law, at a law firm. Um, I moved to New Orleans um, and I was in New Orleans, um, Louisiana for sort of seven, eight years um, doing complex commercial litigation as a paralegal. Um, and that was really um, sort of, you know, early 2000s, late, late, late 90s, early 2000s, um, when um, e-discovery was really sort of becoming a thing. Um, you know, the federal rules were really changing. Um, we were creating more and more electronic data. Um, and, you know, e-discovery was really starting to sort of kick off. And so I was kind of in the right place at the right time. Um, and, uh, you know, I got, I got really involved in um, sort of large um, document intensive uh, matters. We were doing quite a bit of class action um, work. Um, and so we were really looking for ways, to, you know, to make that easier. And, and, you know, electronic databases and processing electronic data was really, um, you know, the sort of the way of the future. And so that's really kind of how I, I fell into it. And then I, um, I, I moved to Washington, D.C. in uh, 2006. Um, and I started working at Kirkland & Ellis. Um, I was really focused on um, white collar um, criminal defense work. So a lot of FCPA investigations and those tend to be um, cross-border, multi-jurisdictional, large, you know, investigations. And that's really where um, I started, uh, you know, sort of getting really into the sort of international aspect of, of the work that I do and um, dealing with cross-border discovery issues. Um, and yeah, so anyway, all those years later, I'm still here. I can't believe you're you're right. It's it has been over twenty years. What a mistake when I said fifteen. I, I really underestimated you, and I, I'm upset about that. Uh, I'm gonna actually change. <laughs> I'm not that offended. Now. You you made thirty me, years. You feel younger, and I loved it. So thank you very much. <laughs> oh, you are so welcome. Yeah, that's a, a lot of different locations. So so that makes me curious. So you work in all aspects of e-discovery and forensics on a global scale, as you yep. as you mentioned. Can you tell us a bit about those? dynamics and how that differs from statewide. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's, you've, you've had so many different experiences. So I, I think we'd like to kind of hear the, the differences for you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, 
the challenges are the same in, in some ways, but then in other ways, they're very different, right? I mean, we're leveraging the same technologies. Um, you know, we're using, you know, the EDRM as a guide, if you will. Um, you know, but the reality of, of cross-border discovery really means that you have so many different challenges that you're having to, to, to face. Um, you know, data privacy, um, you know, being probably the, the biggest hurdle that people think about. Um, you know, I think one of the things that, that is a challenge is really navigating those various um, and complex privacy um, regulations. Because in a large cross-border investigation, you may be dealing with multiple countries in multiple regions. And so although, you know, some of the, the custodians and some of the data that you're looking to collect and analyze and deal with might be in the European economic area, it might be covered by GDPR, even within the EU, um, you know, you may have to deal with French data privacy. You may have to deal with Swiss data privacy regulations. You may have to deal with Germany privacy, German uh, privacy issues. And on that same case, you could have data that's sitting in China. Um, and so you may have to deal with Chinese state secret regulations on the same matter. And so there's lots of, you know, sort of competing privacy regulations that you're, you know, trying to deal with um, and, and um, sort of collecting data. Um, you know, and trying to navigate those. Um, you know, the other thing about, you know, sort of the cross-border work that I think we oftentimes see is that many of our large multinational clients, um, they may not also, they might not always have the same um, tools and technologies across their business. You know, so in one jurisdiction, they may be, um, they may have moved to the cloud and all of their um, email data is in Office 365, you know, but in this location in Latin America, they may still be using Lotus Notes. Um, and that's something that we see, you know, a good bit. We also see clients with multiple, you know, different financial, um, you know, financial systems. And so from this place, you're collecting from SAP, from this place, you're collecting, you know, from something completely different. Um, and so I think those are sort of some of the unique challenges that, that can, you know, sometimes present roadblocks that you have to figure out how you're going to, you know, cross over and get through. But, um, you know, it, I think it keeps it interesting and makes it makes it fun. Yeah. And, and something that we've been hearing about, um, you know, and talking with other people, uh, and I'd be interested to hear your perspective since it's since you're kind of working on a global scale is that since the pandemic, you know, the the scale of data that you're working with has kind of increased since people are, you know, stuck at home and forced to kind of, you know, their digital footprint has increased exponentially. So have you found that to be true? And do you, can you explain, you know, that a little bit and maybe some other things that the pandemic has brought up that maybe we're not really thinking about? Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, you're absolutely right. You've hit the nail on the head. I mean, everyone is having to work differently. Um, and that's, that means, I think a couple of things. I mean, one, companies are really having to struggle with how do we help our workforce to engage? How do we help our workforce to collaborate? Um, and so they are, you know, there's new tools that are being implemented. So many people have um, accelerated moving to Microsoft Teams, for example, or, you know, implementing Zoom um, as, a, as a platform for their, you know, corporate environment or, um, you know, a host of other solutions, right? And so, I think we're seeing more and more of those, um, you know, those solutions being used. Um, you know, we've seen an increase in people using other collaboration tools like Slack. Um, 
you know, there's, there's lots of different platforms, you know, that are out there. And what that means is that there are many, many more sources of information that have potentially discoverable data, you know, residing in them. Um, it also means that companies are having to grapple with how do we control this information, particularly if we need to get access to it for an investigation or for a dispute. Um, you know, how do we uh, how do we gain access to information that may be on platforms that we aren't monitoring and we're not maintaining? Um, I think you know that sort of segues into um, another challenge that I think companies have been grappling with throughout the pandemic is how do we keep the our, our company information safe and secure uh, because it's much more difficult to understand what our employees are doing when they're not in the office they're not on our network they're working from home you know they're working from home networks you know they're potentially using personal computers um, you know it's there, there is um, some loss of, of control there and so I think we've seen you know quite a bit of a um, uptick you know in helping or advising clients around that particular um, aspect. You know, I think the other thing that um, sort of one more point around the pandemic, if you will, is we've seen quite an uptick in clients um, needing advice, not only around sort of the security piece, but also um, uh, employment related advice around, you know, furloughs and departing employees, whether they're redundancy programs or whatever, um, because clients have been, you know, concerned about theft of IP, you know, information leaving the business. And so um, we've been doing quite a bit of work around, you know, that, that particular area. So I think that's, that's probably one area where we've sort of seen um, a rise in, in demand um, post, you know, post pandemic. Yeah, you, you brought up a lot of interesting points there. Um, and, and you're in an interesting role because you're you're sort of in, in the middle man position where you are required to be able to know everything. You have to know everything. You're, you're going to have the partners that are saying, Brian, what do I do? Brian, I need this. Brian, help with this. And then I'm sure you're also getting tons of vendors that are coming at you like, we have the best product on the market, Brian. Use us. This is incredible. So <laughs> So I, I think in, in your position, you kind of have to be educated and, and I won't yeah. dare to ask, you know, who's the worst vendor or what's the, your least favorite platform, unless you do want to want to announce that, but I won't ask that, <laughs> uh, put you on the spot with that. But, but I am curious of how do you stay educated in that? How do you kind of go between the client, the partner, the vendor and, and delegate all of those different, um, you know, people and, and situations? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you're absolutely right. I mean, we have to stay educated. We have to stay on top of what's going on. Um, you know, you're not going to bait me. I'm not going to say who's the best, who's the worst. I'm not going to get in there. But, um, you know, the reality of the sort of the, the, the e-discovery and legal technology landscape is there are tons of um, available technologies in the market. There are a ton of people that are doing really, really interesting things around analytics, around, you know, uh, simplifying data collection. You know, we've seen a big uptick in, in people trying to develop new solutions to help with mobile collections speed up the collection um, processes, whether it be, you know, advancements in terms of um, imaging, you know, computer imaging capabilities um, or imaging of mobile phone capabilities, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, deploying, de deploying remote solutions, you know, as one example. 
Um, you know, but the, as I said, you know, there, there are tons of folks out there that are doing really, really interesting things. And so, although we have lots of tools in-house at Baker that we have brought in from data processing and analytics technologies to um, document review platforms, which we have more than one, um, you know, forensics tools, et cetera. Um, yes, we have a, a whole host of solutions in-house that we that we, you know, operate and run and maintain ourselves. Um, but we also go out to third-party providers. If there's some special data set or something that we need, um, you know, there are folks that we go out to and we work with, um, you know, to, to provide us with additional support. But it's also, you know, we stay on top of the market. We are constantly doing demos and talking to new technology providers um, through our reInvent, which is our innovation brand. Um, you know, we are constantly, um, you know, collaborating collaborating with clients and collaborating with technology providers, um, you know, to, to, to potentially develop new solutions, you know, to meet client needs. Um, but, you know, you know, to your point, Laura, we're really trying to stay out there, um, you know, uh, continue to understand what is happening in terms of technology advancements um, and really to understand what's available in the market, because we want to make sure that we have access to either through those, you know, partners that we work with or through our own, um, you know, acquisition of technologies um, or licensing of technologies that we've got the right solutions to, to access to meet our client needs. Yeah, and that actually um, kind of makes me think about, we were talking to somebody a little bit more on the litigation side and they were talking about, um, you know, post-pandemic kind of seeing uh sort of a boom, a litigation boom, but also that kind of presenting a lot of te technological uh, obstacles. Yeah. So I was, yeah. So I was wondering what you thought about that. And is that something that you're kind of, is that on your radar and what, what does that look like from your end? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I think, um, one thing that we really thought was going to happen, and I'm not necessarily sure that I, that I agree with this and that I think that it did happen, but I think a lot of people thought that we were going to see a big boom in litigation um, from, from things like, you know, issues with contracts and, you know, um, you know, force majeure provisions and um, breach of contract type matters. Um, I'm not really sure that we've seen a huge amount of that. Um, certainly, I think there's been an uptick in things like insolvency and sort of bankruptcy type work for sure. Um, I do think that there is probably some, um, I don't know if pent up demand is the right way to put it, right? But I think there is some litigation that isn't happening, um, you know, because the courts are overburdened and people are, are waiting to do things. Um, some people don't want to do, they don't want to do a virtual hearing. They don't want to do a virtual trial. They, you know, they want to do an in-person trial. They want a jury, you know, in person. So I think there's probably some some amount of work that's been um, held back or, you know, people are sort of waiting until the floodgates kind of reopen. So, yeah, I think there is a possibility that I think we'll see, um, I don't know if a boom is the way to put it, but I think we'll see some, um, uh, you know, uptick, if you will, in that kind of work post-pandemic. I mean, I do think, the other thing I think is that I think some, some of the, the ways that we have been able to navigate through the pandemic um, may be here to stay in certain instances, right? I mean, some clients may have found we can take virtual depositions 
and we can leverage different technologies to help us do depositions virtually and to present exhibits and, and, and really to, to interview a witness like that. Um, and we don't necessarily need to incur the cost to, to fly five or six lawyers to California or to Paris or to, you know, Hong Kong or whatever. Um, and so I think some of that will be here to stay. There may be some key witnesses where you say, no, I still want to do that one in person. But I think we're going to see some efficiencies that have been gained by the way that we've sort of changed um, the, the way that we work. And look, I think there may be some virtual hearings, right? Um, meet and confers, which tend not to be in person, but, you know, some of those... Um, you know, less important, not that they're, you know, they're all, they're all important, but sort of the less critical hearings, I think, um, may be able to take place virtually, um, but we may get back to a place where people want to do trials in person, right? I mean, it's, I, 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 one thing that I hear a good bit is people say, it's difficult to gauge the witness, or it's difficult to fill the jury and fill out exactly, you know, what's, what they're thinking and what's the mood in the room and sort of all of that. It's lost in a virtual environment. So I think, you know, there will be some getting back to, to that. I hope I answered your question. Didn't go way too far down a rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, that was great. Um, so random question. When I say DSAR, how do you feel? <sighs> Anxious. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, hey, look, we, we do a lot of them. Um, and they are, you know, they're not, that's not anything that a client um, is getting excited about, right? I mean, particularly in, in the UK and in the, the EU, they're sort of um, uh, a necessary evil, right? Um, so clients want to, they have to do them, but they want to do them as quickly and as efficiently as we, as they possibly can. Um, so we're constantly looking at ways that we can leverage technology, um, leverage analytics um, to really do those, you know, to respond to those DSARs um, with as little human interaction and as little human review of those documents as, as we possibly can. But yeah, I mean, they are um, certainly here to stay. And I think, um, you know, we only anticipate that um, those data subject access requests will continue to grow. Yeah. In volume. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so also following up and, and you touched on this a little bit, um, but where do you see the trends? Not, not just on the fact of COVID and the pandemic and how things are changing, but more on the tech side. Um, you've been in e-discovery for now we know over 20 years. So you've seen it before it was discovery when it was just, here's an actual bait stamp to now we're doing everything um, online. So what, what do you think is coming around the corner next? I mean, this is interesting. I was having this conversation um, with two of our partners in Germany earlier today. I mean, I think, um, look, I think in terms of legal technology, the e-discovery space has always been a sort of um, petri dish of you know, growth around technology. And it's been, um, I mean, Petri dish makes it sound bad, right? But it's, you know, it's, a, it's um, sort of the epicenter, I think, of a lot of the, the, the growth in technology. Um, I mean, we're seeing um, already some advancements around um, technologies for contracts, analytics, and, and due diligence. Um, and a lot of those are, a lot of those technologies are, um, 
you know, based around the the underlying technology in in e-discovery platforms and in the e-discovery tools. Um, You know, I think we will continue to see improvement in the analytical capabilities of platforms. I think we're going to see um, the technology companies moving faster to the cloud. Um, I think that the days of on-premises solutions are going to start to dwindle away. Um, and I think we're going to start to see, you know, more and more, you know, power behind these these cloud-based um, solutions and platforms. And we're we're already seeing that um, to to a uh, to a great extent. Um, I also think we're start we're going to start to see more and more in terms of the use of predictive analytics. Um, so, you know, trying to predict. Even I wouldn't even say the outcome of a case, but really trying to predict: Should I even take this matter to trial? Should I even make a claim? You know, based on the facts that I know, based on the facts that I have about this particular case, what's the likelihood that making this, you know, t- taking this claim to trial would even result in a in a positive outcome for me? And so I think we're going to start to see more and more clients leveraging technologies like that, looking for technologies like that. Um, which will help them to decide whether or not they even want to proceed. Um, uh, so yeah, I think that that's probably you know a couple of thoughts for me on that. No, that's that's really interesting. I don't think we've heard that one yet um, about the predictive side of the, you know technology and judging the likelihood of outcomes. So that's that's really interesting. Um, but before we let you go, we you know we talked a lot about sort of you know challenges, whether it was COVID, whether it was. Um, you know, from the increase in, in data, but kind of want to end on a fun note and ask, you know, what's kind of one of your favorite things about the work that you do? And if you don't have a necessarily favorite thing, that's that's fine, too. But um, yeah, what what would be, you know, kind of from the flip side of, of a challenge that you think? The flip side? Well, I mean... The two, I guess I'll, I'll give you two. I'll give you two, if I may. I mean, I think for me. Oh, please, please give us two. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you two. Yeah, for for me, I mean, look, the obviously the pandemic has put a, a little bit of a damper on this, but um, as as Laura and I have joked um, in previous discussions, you know, she came to London and I wasn't here. Um, that's always the theme, right? Pre-pandemic, um, I was almost never home. I traveled about eighty-five percent of my time. I was always on a plane, um, always seeing clients, always seeing you know, colleagues in other offices and, um, you know, traveling around on investigations and that sort of thing. And so I miss that. Um, but that's probably one of the, the fun parts of, of my, of my job and of, of what I get to do is getting to meet, you know, meet clients face to face, sit down and talk to them and really brainstorm about, you know, different solutions to meet the challenges, understanding what the challenges are that they're facing and, and what their needs are. Um, and doing that all over the world, right? I mean, I've gotten to meet, um, you know, colleagues and and clients and friends, you know, all over the world. Um, and that's, I think, probably one of the funnest things about my job that um, I love, but also miss. Um, and then the other thing is the Baker McKenzie Band. So we have a band. Um, I am the lead, one of the lead singers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'm one of the lead singers of the Baker McKenzie band and we get together a couple of times a year, usually at our partners meetings. Um, and we, you know, we play. Um, and so it's, you know, it's an opportunity for, you know, a bunch of lawyers who, 
you know, spend their whole day, you know, doing legal work to sort of shake that off and like, you know, play music and, and have a good time. And so, um, you know, that's, that's amazing. That's, yeah. That's how I do, do something different. So Brian, you had told me about your past. And so I know that you have some talent and Gabby here <laughs> isn't just a producer. She also is in a band <laughs> as talent. Yes. Instruments. So I think for, for everyone listening, maybe we should do a quick duet. Do we do it? Oh boy. Off? I, I'm, I'm going to listen. Go ahead team. Yeah. Thanks, Laura. I appreciate that. I think for me, um, <laughs> I would love to do a duet with Gabby, but maybe we can have some, you know, prep time. We can schedule Absolutely. something and maybe that's for tech pod so, 2.0. Sounds like you guys are yes. nervous. Um, so I'll, <laughs> I'll give you a chance to, to regroup. And next time we bring you on the show, I want to hear a nice song um, or at least one of those, like, you know, I don't, I don't know, some sort of do I, I, I'm clearly not a singer. So I'm like, I don't know the wording. But something beautiful, a nice harmony um, of sorts. We'll, we'll work deal. on it. Yeah, we'll absolutely. Perfect. For sure. For sure. <laughs> well, Brian, this this has been an amazing conversation, and we really appreciate you joining us today. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's been been fun. So I've enjoyed it. talk to Brian Isbell. What were your tech takeaways? I think Brian is just full of knowledge. So, so first of all, I, I'm, I want to dive more. And so we got to get him back on. I want to hear you guys sing and I want to dive more into <laughs> all of the locations. I mean, you mentioned New Orleans, Washington, DC. He's, he's in London now to be able to do what he does in so many locations and be so in touch with technology and also with dealing with constant clients and partners. I mean, he's impressive. Yeah. And I was really interested about what he had to say about the trends coming up, you know, not even concerning with the pandemic, although it was interesting to hear like how some of the things might, you know, might be here to stay, um, you know, whether that be virtual, virtual meetings or anything like that. But the trends coming up, you know, especially the predictive technologies that we might be seeing, which to me, it just sounds so sci-fi. <laughs> um, but, you know, like that's we're getting there. Uh, obviously, it's not, you know, uh, too out there yet. But it's interesting to know that like we're on that road to be able to predict, uh, you know, the likelihoods of, of outcomes and make judgments and decisions based on that technology. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, technology is constantly changing. And I think he kind of, he kind of hit home with which each point of that and and you, you underestimate things of, oh, I communicated on WhatsApp, or I sent an email and just all of the different ways that we are communicating and what all of that data actually looks like, and how it's handled. So I, I mean, he's impressive. That's I can't say that enough. He's just so impressive with his knowledge, his skill set. And, and I think he's right with the with the upcoming trends. And I'm excited to see how technology is going to continue to change and continue to grow. And soon um, I'm, I'm afraid that before I even think something, there will be some sort of tech software that's like, Laura, this is what you're thinking. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> thank you for letting me know. I wasn't quite there yet. <laughs> Sometimes that might be I feel like that might be helpful, but it also might be very scary. Yeah. Um, but so 
Laura, where can people find us if they want to learn more about us and our podcast? Yeah, everyone, please go check us out at www.thattechpod.com. Follow us on LinkedIn at That Tech Pod. Send us an email if you'd like to be on our show. If you want somebody to be on our show, if you want to hear about a certain product or a certain person, or if you'd like more information on who we talked to today, Brian Isbell, feel free to send us an email at thattechpod at gmail.com. For a limited time only, That Tech Pod is offering free consulting. If you're interested, email us at thattechpod at gmail.com. If you want a way to help us out that's very easy and free, uh, we have one for you. Just go to Apple Podcasts, find our podcast, That Tech Pod, and give us a five-star review. Uh, You could also write us a review, and that just helps us. It helps the algorithm. You know, if people are searching for tech podcasts, it helps us helps them find us um and also just shows your support and love and we appreciate that so much see you on tuesday